Welcome to the Christian Media Marketing Podcast, where we talk all things social media marketing to help your Christian media, Christian missionary, or church outreach find the seekers in your context. We want to help you get the right message in front of the right person at the right time and even on the right device. Are you ready? Here's your host, John Rawls, owner of Kavanaugh Media. Hey everyone, welcome to the podcast. Thanks for being a part of this. As I say each week, I so appreciate you all and I'm excited. Some of the feedback I'm getting from you all about using the Night of Power, some of the Dreams content, all of that has been just such an encouragement to me personally to see how you are using these tools and resources to find people who are seeking all around the world. And we're seeing this, that it is working. Now, it varies a lot by location. In some countries, the numbers are gonna be smaller. In some places around the world, because this is a spiritual endeavor, we're seeing just great numbers, literally hundreds, thousands of people who are sending in messages or who are responding to gospel-related content. And I just can't tell you how exciting that is to me. Now, in today's podcast, we're going to be talking with two different mission organizational leaders. Both of these men have made a major impact in my life. One, David Garrison, from the research that he has done in church planning movements. And I was able to go and travel and work with their mission organization, Global Gates, at the beginning part of this year in January. And they are seeing some great numbers where they're working at. And they're a great organization. And I hope that you look into them. And the other one is Doug Lucas, who is the president of Team Expansion. And that was my old uh, mission organization that I was a part of and before I started my business's mission. So my heart goes out to them. I, I still find myself thinking of myself as a Team Expansion person. And I so appreciate Doug to, through the years, he has consistently been a champion for the kingdom and for missions work. And so these two gentlemen are gonna be sharing in today's podcast about just the idea of social media marketing, things that they're seeing, just how digital is affecting them as mission organizational leaders in recruiting, in the future missionaries, and all of those things. And I want you to listen because David's gonna share a really exciting statistic about what's been happening with his organization since they began to implement some of these techniques and tools in their ministries. So I'm really excited to have both of them be a part of this podcast today. Now it's gonna be just a little bit longer. It's not a super long podcast, but I hope that you'll stick around and listen to it till the end and be encouraged by what they are having to say. So without any more delays, here is David and Doug. All right, well, Doug and David, thank you both for being a part of this this podcast. I know you're both really busy, and we just prayed before I hit record here, and I, I appreciate you both. You have both greatly impacted my personal life, my ministry, the way I see the world, and so I'm honored to have you both on here, and I'm excited actually, just to get to talk to you both, to hear what you have to say to potential workers, to those who are out there already working, to other missional organizational leaders. And um, so hopefully the internet holds for us here and we can just have a great conversation. Um, I, I want to keep this podcast not super long for time, so I want to dive right into it. And I, I want to just get some some idea of of just these past 10 years, because this world's changing so fast, and you all both have been doing this for quite a while. 
what have you seen as far as this shifts happening in the whole idea of just mobilization itself with your org, say, in the last 10 years or so? Um, whichever one of you wants to get started first, feel free to. Doug, I'll, I'll uh, defer to you. Your organization's Please, oh. <laughs> been at it through the last uh, 10 years. So. I was going to defer to you because you're a lot smarter. <laughs> oh, David, that's kind of you. Uh, John, thanks for the honor of being able to be with you. Thanks for the chance to be able to share. Um, it, it has been a good run, 42 years. And I would say that in the beginning of our work, it was largely viewed as uh, one family at a time in the sector of missions where we were working. And you can tell by our name, Team Expansion, we were trying to create a, a sense of working together. And one of the changes that I think have happened is over these 40 years, there is a huge now respect and appreciation for the chance to be able to labor side by side now. And Boy, it's hard to put into words because people wouldn't believe that it existed back in 1978. Uh, the independence, the sheer independence that sometimes reigned. So I would say that's one shift. And along with that um, micro uh, working together, there is a macro working together. And that is organizations with other organizations and people who are seeing fruit in one place, uh, acting like uh, maybe a beggar telling another where to find bread, sharing what seems to be working in this place in hopes that it can help another team somewhere else. So I think that's one of the things I would say, John. And David, I don't know what, what else you would add. Yeah, you know, we've had a, we had 31 years with the Southern Baptist International Mission Board before coming over to Global Gates, uh, with whom we've been working really for the last uh, six years. And uh, I, I stepped into a younger generation when I began working with these Global Gators. And uh, <laughs> the younger generation live in social media and, and the digital world is a world that's very much in their universe. So when it comes to even mobilization, uh, whereas when I was a, a young fellow, it was a lot of personal contact. If you didn't go to a mission conference or um, have a missionary come and speak at your church, you might ever not ever know about that mission, that organization. Uh, these guys are staying connected literally all over the world, not just all across the country, but all over the world. And they're these webs of relationships. And so they're much more savvy about that. I've had to really work hard to come up to speed. Uh, I have not come up to speed, let me be honest. But I do understand and appreciate the speed with which they're, they're connecting and they're reaching out. And uh, it's allowed us at Global Gates, in terms of mobilization, to draw people in from, you know, just all over the world, um, especially here in the West, where they're so uh, digitally connected. And, uh, and it's given us a footprint and a face that really we would have had to spend all of our time attending mission conferences and speaking in front of churches to have that kind of a, a footprint that social media has allowed us to have just through webs of connection and relationship and so forth. Yeah. Okay. So, I mean, Jesus said the harvest is plentiful. And so the problem is not that we lack funds or technology. It's we need workers still. I mean, that, that's that barrier. And so the, this whole idea of using social media to reach out to people, to find them, to connect up, sometimes as first conversations with these potential missionaries and stuff, I, I'm, I'm confident that you both are using those. How, how about on the strategy side of just the work itself? David, I'll start with you because honestly, your book, your research into church planting movements has impacted so many workers out there. And, sure has and us. specifically, 
I, I mean, I just, even when I was, before I left to go overseas and work overseas, that book, I was teaching it in a class at the college I taught at. I was using it, referencing it at the church that I was preaching at. So how is the digital age, what do you think on that? How is the digital age impacting church planning strategy as for your org, for Global Gates right now? Well, you know, one of the one of the nice things that happened when I first wrote that little booklet back in 1997, maybe, um, we we were giving it away. It was a little 57-page booklet, and before we knew it, our our publication department at the International Mission Board said, "Hey, we got to work on this because it's not in the budget, and we're giving away six thousand a month." Um, and that was just in English. And then someone said, "Well, we want it in Spanish," and went on and on went into 44 languages uh, when we really just lost count. It was in Shona and Mongolian and Cambodian. And uh, I mean, I had pictures people sent me of pack mules going up into the mountains of Southwest China with uh, church planning movements booklets in a local language going up in the mountains. So, and what we did is we just made it a PDF available. We never paid for any translations to be done. They were all done indigenously and, and multiplied. And that was really, it could only have happened, you know, if, if it had come in 10 years earlier, no one would have ever known it. But mm -hmm. it came at a time when we were becoming digitally connected and where you could download a PDF and make uh, copies or translation and make copies and run with it. And uh, what it allowed us to do it was really a couple of things. One was to cast a vision. Uh, look what God is doing. Previously, you know, you would hear rumors and you wondered, is this being evangelistically reported or is it real? And now you could actually follow up and you could see where it was happening. And a second thing it did, and even more so when the larger book, Church Planning Movements, came out, it began identifying best practices and what were the common threads to these movements. And with that, you didn't just have them break out in one subcontinent or one island or one country, but people would appropriate those best practices, you know, the 10 universal elements, and they would say, how do we adapt that to... Uh, our context here in Latin America or in the 1040 window or wherever it was. And that's what excites me too, John, about what we're seeing with the media to movements is that it's not different. It's just a cool new way of getting at it in a way that wasn't possible 20 years ago. Mm. You know, abundant evangelism, I think is number one in the universal elements. Well, what is, you know, what are we doing here, but abundant seed sowing or we're casting uh, out a net with, um, invitations to come and taste and what do you think and then getting landing places and then sifting them in so i just that's what i love about it it's just taking the same broad principles that god has used everywhere and it's bringing them into the digital age the 21st century and it's allowing us to have a an exponential uh not only harvest but really getting into the hard rocks the places that where we've tried abundant evangelism, but because we were dependent on Western agents of evangelism, we were stymied, we were stifled, we were shut down. And now we're going through invisible pathways into homes and into uh, iPhones and into, you know, uh, smartphones. And it's allowing us to, to participate with the Holy Spirit in a way that we might've missed had this not been possible. I'm sorry to talk so long, but... Oh. Get excited about this. I I appreciate what you're saying and I <laughs> totally agree. What do, what's your thoughts, Doug? Even as you listen to David, there, how's it impacting you all and your strategies? I was thinking I I remember uh, going to the 
field. I happened to be in Montevideo, Uruguay in 1982 as a team leader there. And our strategy was to try to set up these beachhead uh, 100 person at a time, kind of typical local, you know, a, a church on a street corner that, you know, in a building you had rented. And it was intense. We, we tried our best to launch one of those a year. And it was hard. Uh, the strategy I got to uh, use was a correspondence course going door to door. And Monday that was full of apartment buildings. Uh, so I would work mainly in the residences where I could find doors I could knock on. A lot of the apartment buildings are gated and locked up. But I would knock all day long. And I can remember, John, multiple days, not a few, not just a few, multiple days at around 3.30 or 4, starting to try to make excuses myself because nobody else was going to open the door, much less want to get a course. And if they did, they were going to do the first lesson and then quit. I mean, I had all the answers in my head and it just took sheer willpower. It was all just willpower, almost like, almost like fabled grit to say, I'm going to stay at this till five o'clock. Nobody's going to change this. I'm going to keep knocking on doors to five o'clock. And I would maybe get John in a, in a, in a month's time, I would maybe get a hundred people to subscribe to that course. And that's all day long knocking. Mm -hmm. I would maybe get a hundred people in Uruguay, at least a hundred people. And out of those hundred people, uh, I would end up with, you know, really, to be honest, if I'm going to be cutthroat, nobody wanting the Bible, nobody wanting to study. It was a hard country at the time, pretty agnostic. Now I'm looking here in front of me at a chart that a team uh, has just shared with me last week using social media they were able to get on the screens in front of 1.2 million people and uh, about 497,000 of them actually viewed the ad in detail. A couple of hundred thousand, just over a couple hundred thousand went to multiple ads and 1,325 liked the, the ad. Well, that's a pretty sure, sharp drop off admittedly. But what was interesting is they had 141 of those 1,325 who shared the, the page that they had liked. And interestingly, 13 of those 1,325 that liked the page, this is one out of 1,000, 13 wanted a Bible. Now, when I go back to my days in Montevideo, here's what I'd like to say, John. I don't think these responses are that much different. I think there were a lot of people who said, meh, not today. It's just that the quantity of people that you're able to approach with social uh, networking outreaches is just so much bigger than what I could go one day at a time saying, hola, yo me llamo Diego, tengo aquí un curso, I mean, go through my little spiel at the door. They can accommodate so many more people. And I asked this brother, uh, one of our team leaders who shared this with me, can you tell me in the previous 10 years to this, how many people did you have requesting a Bible? This was a 30 day time period. Um, and they had 13 requests for a Bible and 12 requests to meet face to face. 12 people who said, I want to talk this through with somebody. Uh, and I said, in the previous 10 years, how many requests did you have for Bible? And you know the answer because you've met with this team, uh, zero. In those 10 years, zero requests for a Bible. In this 30 days, 13 people wanting a Bible. So it's still a tough land. This is a land where there are lots of nominal, uh, notional people that have this religion of the past, including Islam, uh, 
but a lot of people who are also orthodox from some other time period, but never go to church, you know, for the most part, a lot of people who are just secularized now, just completely secularized. It's still a tough land, but because social media makes it possible to approach so many more people with so much less time and money, they got to the people who wanted a Bible and they got 12 in-person meetings in 30 days. It's miraculous, really. No, and it is. And honestly, the percentages are holding pretty much true anywhere in the world. That it's 71 different countries right now that I'm running ads in. The percentages tend to be one to 2% that are actual seekers who are looking. But yeah, you're exactly right, Doug. With my scale 24 7, that content is able to get out there and people are seeing it now. I will tell you, there are some places right now in the world where I'm getting above a 10% response rate. That's just the Holy Spirit. There's nothing magical right. about the ads, the marketing. It's definitely right. not Facebook or Instagram. It's just God's Spirit in certain yeah. places. He is, he is on point doing some things. So well, I, I want to keep our time uh, in the constraints for just for this podcast and whatever. So just a couple more questions, really, honestly, for both of you here. But what do you think about for the future? How do you see the future missionary and how do you all as an org, each of you all see the training of these future missionaries? I mean, how, what role is digital or those kind of strategies going to play a part whether it's pre-field or, or whatever, just how do you see maybe the next five years or who knows 10 years, if the Lord doesn't come back, what do you see even in the next five years, um, just in your training of these future missionaries, what's that going to look like? Hmm. Whichever one of you wants to go first. You know, it's so pervasive. It really is. Uh, the whole digital revolution uh, is, is not unlike uh, the Gutenberg uh, revolution, you know, of the 1500s. And uh, it's sort of like if you don't optimize your organization to that uh, new reality, you're probably not going to be around in the next century. Um, you're just going to be left behind. And uh, Christians, evangelical Christians, are a conservative lot. And it's so much easier to keep doing things the way we've been doing it. But we're going to do so to our own demise uh, if, if we do that. We found it's 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 important on every level. And in some ways, uh, the, the digital um, social media and, and the whole use of, of uh, telecommunications, it's, uh, it's something that we don't necessarily prefer to do, but because we're people people, you know, we like to just the one-on-one, -on -one. but, you know, we're also, we're, we're really committed to the brutal facts. You know, let's be honest in our evaluation, what's going on. And, and we use a term sometimes, we call it mythology. It's not missiology with two S's, but mythiology was M-Y-T-H-O-L-Y. And it's the things that we thought were missiologically right, but when it got to implementation, we found out it just didn't really work that way. And, and one of those challenges is friendship evangelism, you know, that you earn the right to share the gospel and you go in deep with someone. And, and, and that may work in some cases, but it's, it's rarely gotten to movement. Because the fact is, it's not about us. It's about where the Holy Spirit is at work, where people are under conviction. Jesus promised that the Holy Spirit would convict the world. And so finding those individuals who are under conviction or having dreams and restless hearts, that's where this, uh, this social cast a big net. Find out where the Holy Spirit's at work, those who are responding, and then go deep. And that's where the friendship and the personal, the intimate relationship uh, can lead to not only evangelism, but discipleship and mobilization. So we're looking at putting our training. We do a strategy coordinator training, we call it, 
oftentimes as many as two or three times a year. But as we get bigger and spread out and our, our trainees are scattered in multiple countries, we're looking at breaking it up into bite-sized modules and recording those and uh, making those available interactively uh, by long distance in Zoom meetings. So, I mean, there's just multiple ways that we're finding that the, uh, the digital revolution We've either got to weave it into the warp and woof of who we are as an organization, or we're just become more and more marginalized and fall farther and farther behind. Mm, okay. And Doug, what about you? What are your thoughts? I know you already, you do, you've had Brigada, you've had email, you, I mean, you, you were the pioneer of that. <laughs> and you've had, I know you did Zoom calls, you had one just another a day or two ago. So uh, uh, what are your thoughts? How are you guys going to be leveraging some of this for the future missionaries? You know, I will say, John, that it, it is drastically different. I remember in the early 20 years of this 42-year run, in the early 20 years, what was valued was uh, Bible college education, uh, graduate school, probably at a seminary. And if you had less than a seminary degree, you were kind of looked at as a junior missionary that probably wouldn't amount to much. If you were serious, you would go get a master's degree in missions. And I towed the line. I went along with that route because that's what the party line was telling me, you know. Nowadays, I mean, we're trying to find 22-year-olds who think like they're in the 20s of their lives so they can attract people who are 20 something. So we almost don't want to find somebody who's gone off to seminary because we want a fresh perspective on life. And we want somebody who has the creativity to think outside the box and to communicate as well socially, digitally as they would have if they'd taken three years of speech classes. We always called it, you know, preaching or some other word in Bible college and seminary. We, we aren't interested as much in somebody who's a great orator, you know, who can kick the final, you know, consonant of their syllables. Now we're interested in somebody who understands Instagram and, and uh, how, you know, TikTok works. That's what we're interested in now. So it, it is changing radically the way we recruit. I would say we were, were recruiting differently because we, we want a different person. Now we have people who can look at working in the next country over as easily for the sake of, uh, you know, the air war, if you can use a military paradigm that we're not supposed to use, they're doing the, the part of the, the battle that, that has to do with laying the groundwork, you know, then so that the boots on the ground can receive the uh, distribution of the people who are wanting face-to-face meetings. However, John, I, I would also say some things haven't changed as much. The, the gospel in terms of its ability to transform still mm. is exactly the same. Amen. The face-to-face meeting across a little coffee table or a little cafe table on the, you know, Champs-Élysées or on the, on the coast of, you know, some place in North Africa, I won't say which country's name, those face-to-face meetings are still exactly the same as I did them in 1982 when we had that first baptism in Uruguay. You know, a young man sitting across a little cafe table in Montevideo. The little face-to-face conversations are exactly the same sometimes, but boy, finding the people, that's different. 
both for the harvest to go as harvesters and then for the harvest to respond as folks are saying they're seekers. Finding the people has radically changed, John. Oh, that's so true. And the power, yeah, the power of God's word, that is the power of this. It's, right. it's not the algorithms. Right. It's amazing, but it, it is God's spirit <laughs> in the midst of it all. Well, I, Doug, you've referenced the one team there that they literally, and they got, um, they've even been interviewed in this podcast, by the way, where <laughs> they, they had almost a whole city that was exposed to gospel content and been able to see that. There are several other teams I've been honored to get to work with, with your group there to do that. And just for the sake of time though, David, I, I, I want to hear from you. You were saying before we started hitting record about just some of the stuff that's been happening these last five or six months. Can Why you, didn't we hit record? Why didn't we hit record, John? He was saying that. The best stuff's always before we hit record. Can so. you repeat what you just said? <laughs> so, David, could you, maybe to wrap up our time, could you share just what you're seeing and some of those things there? Yeah, you know, we've, uh, uh, with Global Gates, uh, we started in New York City, and part of our premise was that uh, the ends of the earth have come to our own cities. We're in 24 cities now across North America and around the world. And uh, on the one hand, yes, they are there, they are accessible. But one of the things we found is a, a Bengali, for example, who comes to join the 150,000 other Bangladeshis in New York City is probably working three jobs seven days a week hmm. just to make enough money to pay the rent and to send some back home. They're very busy. They're just, um, uh, they're in demand. And so for uh, the old approach that seems to have grown out of college campuses and, you know, where you spend long nights and hours sitting and talking to people. It even works in underdeveloped countries where people are underemployed. Mm -hmm. But in New York City, Toronto, and Los Angeles, that's not the case. Uh, what we found, though, we in January, uh, John, you and some of your teammates came to New York City, I think providentially, were invited by our Global Gators to come and do a Media to Movements workshop. Uh, you did. Uh, we had a packed room uh, probably one of the last packed rooms you could have in New York City before the coronavirus hit. It was in late January. And then by February, uh, people were getting, in fact, I got sick while I was there. I look back and I wonder if I got my antibodies while I was there. I don't know. But the bottom line is we had our board meeting May 22nd, just last week. And um, we had reports come in from our personnel all over, all over the world from these global gateway cities. They had more response, especially in the New York area, in the last five months than we had had in any previous five months in our, our history. And uh, part of what happened was these guys, they when they learned media to movements, how to create these little ads that they could buy airtime and float them out and direct them, target them to particular uh, communities, uh, they found that as more and more people were losing their jobs or sheltering in place, they would go to their social media and they would see these and their hearts were beginning now to ask questions. What about me? What about my sister who's sick or my cousin and so forth? So we had more response in those five months than we had had at any previous time. And I'm not saying it's a panacea. Don't get me wrong. Yeah. It's still hard because in New York people were, you know, they're all sheltering in place. You couldn't do friendship evangelism. It was tough. We tried a lot of ministries, but uh, the people who tried the ministries often got sick and found themselves uh, we had six families come down with the coronavirus in Metro New York. Uh, some nearly died. Uh, so it's, it's still tough, but it, this adding this tool to our toolkit right. has been just uh, tremendous. And I think we're really just beginning, honestly. I think 
we're just beginning to see the potential there. Uh, and you know, um, I asked you at New York City your thoughts about some of these things, and your words to me were, "This is in the beginning. This is a pioneering thing of how we're doing this," which means we're doing stuff wrong and we don't even know it. We're just going to figure things out. Facebook yeah. is changing, uh, social media is changing, but as long as we have the internet, as long as we have people trying to sell things on the internet, there's going to be ways to leverage that to, to make Jesus famous. And, uh, and John, as long as you guys, and you have this so well, the humility to say, okay, let's learn from what succeeded. Let's learn from what failed. Because the, like you said, the gospel doesn't change. Right. But our, our, our ways of connecting and communicating, if they don't keep changing, then, you know, shame on us. It means we got arrogant and cocky and thought we were all that. And I don't sense that from you guys. And well, I, I'm excited about the future for that reason. I am too. And I, I'll give you a great example of this as we wrap up is with one of Doug's teams, two of Doug's teams are some of the most influential people out there in this whole media to movement world. They, they were the pioneers before there were pioneers doing these kind of things to it. Or the one team that Doug was referencing earlier, they literally are just saying, hey, here's what we have. They're giving away their content to as many people as possible, or they're giving away their training. That's what excites me more than Amen. anything else is to see these orgs working together and people saying, I don't care whose logo's on it. I just want to simply be a Christian I want to make Jesus famous and use whatever tools we can to accomplish that. And so, yeah, may the Lord do that. And I am so thankful for both of you all. Thanks for being a part of the podcast. I will make sure and put references just to your, your organizations and to your websites in the podcast notes as well. And I, if, if they're a 22 year old digital native, I would love to steer him to either one of you two guys. Yeah, That's awesome. Room for him. Awesome. <laughs> All right. Well, thank, thank you, you so much. Thank you both for being a part of it. All right. There you go. There is the conversation with two great missionary organizational leaders with David Garrison and with Doug Lucas, with Global Gates and with Team Expansion. May God bless both of their organizations. And we're going to have some more podcasts like this from other organizational leaders that are going to join me discussing some of these same questions in the coming weeks. So as I always say to you, keep testing, keep pushing forward, and may God bless you wherever you are finding those seekers who his spirit is calling to him and to his son Jesus. Until next time, take care. Thank you for listening to the Christian Media Marketing Podcast. We hope you subscribe to it and that you'll share it with those who are also laboring for the Lord to find seekers in their contacts. May God bless you in all you do for Him and for His kingdom.